0: everyone. Welcome to episode number 87. Today, we got Tom, Todd Bumgardner, and he's going to come on and talk about his work at Strength Faction. We're going to talk about developing communication skills and how trainers should probably spend a bit more time on that versus the deepest technical nuances of knowing every training modality. We get into uh, how he feels about exercise variation sucking, and he'll explain what he means by that. His preferred ideas on conditioning modalities... His experience with recovering from an injury and learning to do less and uh, advice for other people. And we get into discussion about reading, how he loves Faulkner, and a whole bunch of books that have to do with the devil. We'll explain. You just got to stick around and listen.
1: Shut up and sit down.
0: As with a lot of our guests. I've read uh, Todd Bumgartner's work for years, and Todd is a little less concerned with promoting the letters behind his name, and he's much more about the positive impact on people as a strength coach, as a writer, as a presenter. You know, Todd will let you um, give us a quick rundown of your education, uh, but Todd also co-founded and operates Strength Faction, so uh, welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys having me. I know you just mentioned your
1: lineup that you got you know, going today. So to be sandwiched in between a couple of uh, great folks,
2: it's, uh, it's a it's privilege and honor. So thank you. Yeah, like tell us a little just just for our listeners' sake. Like tell us a little bit about kind of what you do, and, um, and then we kind of just shoot the shit for an hour. Sure. Man. <laughs> yeah. So
1: uh, like you mentioned, like Andrew mentioned, I have uh, we run a company called Strength Faction, and and really our to take it down to like a sentence. Our whole goal with that company is to help fitness trainers fill in the gaps with all of the stuff that they didn't learn in school or through their certification. Cause there's, I think there's a lot of points of frustration out there that people expect. Like they come out of school and they're like, Oh man, like it's really nice to know all these science words and all these, uh, these big ideas, but applying them in the real world doesn't always work when you're going to train like a real client. And then same thing with certifications and even just like the demands on life that, that comes from being a fitness trainer, you know? So there's a lot of things that people don't account for, which is like having some freedom and how to manage your time, how to actually get clients, how to how to put all the pieces together. So we do that with a with a 17-week program um, that we run three times a year, and it's in a community-based format, and there's a lot of dialogue, and really driving people to talk in a, in a civil manner is really one of our big goals, and it's been, it's been awesome to do that. Um, and then my business partner and I, uh, Chris Merritt, we co-own a gym in Dulles, or Sterling, Virginia, you can, deter- the, the area code's the same. People use different names for the town. So, um, and we do small group personal training mostly. So uh, essentially what happens is folks come in, go through a consultation with either Chris or I, uh, movement assessment, really work on goals, get in a direction. And then from there, we individualize training. Um, and then folks will schedule online. They come in, um, we have up to eight clients an hour, and then we keep our coach to client ratio somewhere one to four one to five and we've just getting we've got really honed in with our our, sis, our systems there um and it's allowed you know chris and i a lot of freedom to do other gigs like we work with a full-time federal tactical law enforcement unit and say that five times fast uh, <laughs> yeah it's cool we work with some pretty cool dudes and then travel and teach for for equinox um, i was actually just up in canada earlier this year and i got to go to canada later this year so uh um, just Canada, in, man. It's a big it's, it's, bunker, it's a big goddamn place. So where were you? I was just saying, I was just saying i I, was saying, I, I was my first trip into Canada. So I went to Toronto okay, in bet. February and I gotta to go to Vancouver in October. So you see the big so, hitters. Yeah,
0: big big cities. I was going to do uh, what's that I, I of course I had a thought but I lost it there. Uh, you're talking about oh, I know what it was. So you obviously have this program and you guys have been around since 2010, so you were in in helping other trainers with the technical side of stuff and, and helping them with their businesses. Long before that sort of thing became popular, I don't know if you notice that your spaces get a little crowded with some of the stuff that's happening now. We always make fun of this shit, and maybe that's just low hanging fruit. But what do you think about what's going on right now with the the popularity of people who probably haven't demonstrated much of their own success, but are now you know business coaches, online coaches, teaching other trainers to be successful?
1: Yeah, I think it's just a product of. Um what word do I want to use? But, uh, guruism, probably. Is yep. It's because uh, it's – I think folks, they get – the folks that are starting those programs, they get linked up with uh, with another coach. And then that coach tells them that the, the way to make money is to position yourself as an expert and then teach other people. And then it just, like, it transfers on down the line. I mean, I, I, I'm in a weird place with it because it's like, you know, we live – in the west it's a free market economy like people can do whatever they want to make money and like you know if you're going to go out and and get after it and far be it for me to tell you um do i think it's the most ethical or moral way to behave no i don't and it's not something that i would do um I, i think you should have to demonstrate a certain level of mastery of at least some content area and i think um actually change your own circumstances in some ways before you go and and start teaching other people. Um, and I think what happens is, is it just becomes vacuous and it doesn't rest on any kind of foundation. And I think it collapses for these people and it's like, and then they're left kind of empty and then they're like, shit, well, what do I do now? Cause it's going to run its course and they are like, you know, no one's paying attention. I'm not really yeah. getting what I want to out of this. So I just think it's a really bad short-term play when the long-term play is to really develop yourself and, and develop a business for yourself that will actually sustain you rather than, attacking things without, you know, having the knowledge and, and the foundation that you need to
2: build. Well, and the one thing <clears throat> you actually said it really eloquently, uh, considering we've like literally just hammered this, but like change your own circumstance, <laughs> which before you start doing it and like, mm-hmm. like actually do it, not just like say you do it. Like people know when your circumstances have changed. Oh yeah. Like it's not sure. just a few pictures on the internet. So that's kind of where it's kind of cool to see you guys, like you doing it but from a place of like, you've been doing this like for, not forever, but for a long time. Yeah. And you're not I, selling I the think, quick dream. I think the thing is, is like,
1: and it's been cool. Cause like the thing, even the people that, you know, that interact with us and are forward facing, I guess you would call it brand if it's on social media or, or whatever it is, is, is they feel like we're telling them the truth and we're being honest. And that's really cool because when you, when people come into the program and everything, it's, it's just us telling you what we do. And then we update it, you know, each 17 weeks based on, oh, shit, well, we're doing this better now. So now we change it. So I think it's just it's important because it's, it's so easy to have a lot of smoke blowing around all over the place these days because it's easy to do that on the internet. And it's easy to rent a car and stand in front of it and act like it's yours and do all kinds of shit like that.
0: So, Well, this is actually worth mentioning, too. As much as we do have a bit of fun with the kind of the modern incarnation of the guru business coach. A lot of fitness professionals, and you are very much in this realm, have for a very long time created products or information that was mm-hmm. geared towards educating and making other trainers better. Uh, Dean Somerset and I went, worked for the same company for many years, and now we're under a different umbrella uh, as independent contractors. And Dean taught continued education courses throughout the whole thing, so he was constantly educating other trainers. Guys like Nick Tuminello, who I was just hanging out with in Spokane at an event and he was a semi-recent guest, or Brett Contreras, or however many other of these people, they're all creating stuff that's actually geared towards helping other trainers get better. So this has always been a very reputable and positive thing. What we make fun of is is just this one little new corner that's a little different. I quote, I help coaches uh, turn into six-figure businesses or seven-figure businesses, hashtag whatever bullshit. So I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of the fact that this is something that's been going on for a really long time. And oh, the vast yeah. majority of it is incredible, right? I wouldn't be where I am without learning from all of these people that we've talked about.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And I, I think it's, 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 it's positive And it always started as a positive thing. It's just, there's a lot more noise now because the, the, the barrier to entry is much lower. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, when folks like Cressy and those guys started, uh, and Robertson started putting out products like back in the early 2000s. No one knew how to do it. And, and the, the actual logistics to get it done were much more difficult then. And it's not so hard anymore. So it's just, there's just more noise. But I think there's still, it's mostly resoundingly positive. And I think honestly, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, the cream rises to the top, you know, and there's just, there's also just not much we can do about folks that don't know what they're doing, putting out a product and doing stuff like that. It's like, Hey, you're free to do that. You're free to do that. It's, it's not what you should do, but you're
0: free to do it. So, so how about this? Uh, what skills have you traditionally found that newer trainers, inexperienced trainers that they're missing uh, and need to develop to be successful? Uh, and has anything changed from when you guys started this in 2010 to what you're seeing right now? Sure. So first of all, I want to clarify something. We started the business
1: in 2010 strength faction that program didn't start until 2015 we had an iteration of it started in 2013 Mm -hmm. the whole thing got going in 2015. um but uh i I think i think there's a few things i think um it usually boils down to the most interesting problem that you have to solve at the time right so and that's where you kind of get enamored so when folks start learning this stuff what are the biggest problems that they have to solve it's usually learning how to teach somebody how to do something. And learning how to write a program. And so people get enamored with X's and O's. And they throw all of themselves at that. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, But they miss out on... And and it sucks to... I just feel... Because it's really cliched right now. But they miss out on the communication piece. They don't learn how to talk to people. And they don't learn how to listen to people. And they don't learn how to figure out how to actually help someone set a goal and then direct action towards that goal. And I think those are the big pieces where folks miss in, in school and in the certifications, because they don't teach you that they teach you, you know, what muscle inserts where, and they teach you a bunch of other stuff like that, where it's just like, man, I have a master's degree. I haven't thought about that shit since 2010. You know what I mean? Like it just, (laughs) it just doesn't matter. I mean, it does. I mean, I don't, don't get me wrong. I think basic scientific knowledge is important because it's easier for you to tell what's bullshit and what isn't. But Um, I don't think folks learn enough about communication unless they have some kind of background in it and and really how to help people set goals. And I think the other thing is learning how to manage themselves. Like, what are you actually trying to do? Why are you trying to do it? And how are you going to direct your efforts towards that? Um, I think those are the two big glaring holes because there's a, you know, there's a, and I'll say one more thing, how to synthesize information. Because there's a bunch of information out there. And it's like, well, how do you take all of that that we all have access to now and turn it into something useful? And I think when people develop those three skill sets, I think they do
0: really, really well. I think you can see that, especially in a lot of people who are really successful in the industry. I think Mark Fisher is a great example at a high level. I think a guy like Luke Cahosovar is a good example of that, where the communication skills are just off the charts. The way that they are with people is really great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's
2: funny because, like, even when we, I can think back to, like, our trainer certification, like, we didn't learn, like, anything. <laughs> so, like, when when you say, like, oh, I'll fill in the gaps, like, there's so many gaps to fill. And, oh, there is. And you end up, like, we talked about business coaching and all this shit, but, like, the stuff that you're teaching in terms of, like, communication, that's that's not sexy. It's like us selling nutrition advice that's not sexy. It's, like, not sexy to talk about, like, hey, you got to be good with people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, well, here's the thing is, and this is what we've learned about, you know, who ends up working with us is like, you got to get punched in the face a few times before you realize it. You got to go out and like, have a really bad experience with a client or have a problem that you can't solve. And then finally, you're open to learning from somebody else that knows how to solve that problem. And I think, you know, and it it sucks to say this, my my undergraduate degree is in psychology. It's not in, in kinesiology or exercise science. My master's degree is in exercise science, but What I've noticed from a lot of the – so I'll take a step back. So my education and training isn't necessarily the most traditional route because it's like I started lifting when I was 12. I started competing in powerlifting when I was 14. So I I came at it from a very practical standpoint from the get-go. But a lot of the kids that come out of colleges and universities, um, I think they come out with a little bit more swagger than they should. And, And they just think they know a little bit more than they really do. And it takes a minute for them to go out and like have to actually train someone and be like, oh shit, I don't actually know what I'm supposed to do right now, you know. So I think it just it just takes a minute. And there are a lot of people that 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 are set up with the right mindset from the get go, but it
0: just seems to trend not in that direction. What is it? Most there's no one more confident or sure of themselves than a freshly minted trainer in our industry.
2: Like, fair enough. I think that's a fair assessment. And, and, you, and even just experience in their own training, like let's just say some of these. People come out of university, a four-year undergrad, like they're 21 years old, some of them, 22 years old, like with a training age of two. Exactly. Well, (laughs) that's the thing that's strange to me now is like, uh, I've talked to
1: so many folks over the past couple of years. It's like, you know, I I don't know what else to do. I've been lifting weights since I was 12 years old. It's just, I don't know what else to do. And it's very interesting because there's folks that get into this industry and, and start working as a trainer. And they started lifting weights when they were 19. Yeah. And then they started working as a trainer when they were 22. So it's just a weird disparity. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's just like, it's very strange because like, it's, it's a real big part of my identity. So it's like, it just, it makes sense, but it's not like that
2: anymore. Well, it's weird too. Cause like I, I have a very similar background. Like I was a teacher before all this, but like I lifted my whole life. Andrew's lifted his whole life. I power lifted, played football, but we almost had a, it's not a bad thing to have these bad experiences, but we probably lifted like shit for a long time. And like, I would probably I assume you did too. So some of these new kids don't have that shitty background, but I think that shitty background is what's made us good because we have that time oh, and shit. Sure. You know what I mean? I, like I had a, yeah, lifting in full
0: extension and all this stuff. That's awesome. I had a Joe Weeder bench that my dad bought for me when I was, I would have been about 13. It's in the basement and fucked around with it a fair bit. And it came with this, there's no internet back then, guys. I'm 41, so it's like <laughs> it's like the dawn of it, right? There's no there's no, forums, there's no bodybuilding.com or no tNation. So rooms. there was a, literally a big fold-out piece of paper that showed oh, yeah. the like how to do all these exercises. So I think I got the bench press kind of okay and a few other things. I definitely wasn't squatting. There wasn't any rack down there, so I wasn't screwing around with that stuff or deadlifting at all when I was younger. And then uh, I, I got a bit more serious with this stuff as I got into university. Uh, yeah I remember those days and no there was no formal teaching or education no one I grew up around knew what they were doing with lifting weights
2: But we don't I find like maybe I'm just trashing people out of school but like when you like learn how to be a trainer before you like were a lifter you're almost like too trainery if that makes sense like you're like you have to lift with your like because they learned about the anatomy like you said like your bicep inserts here and you do this with the curl it's just like some of that shit just doesn't matter but it does matter if that's all you know
1: Right. Exactly. It's a very, it's a, it's like trying to take a very sliver of a uh, sliver of a solution and apply it to like a whole problem. It's like you, you try to take this and just slap it all over everything. And and it's, it's much broader than that, you know? And I think it even, uh, I'm going to use the word empathy, um, not in the term, like so much emotionally, but so much as like similar of similar level of experience. So it's, it's just like, you know, there's the old coach's mantras, like you don't try to have anybody do anything that you haven't done before. And it's like, well, you have a deeper level of understanding. Like, I know what it feels like to pull a shitty deadlift and crank my back and have a real mm-hmm. bad time with that. <laughs> so it's like, I can, I can actually put myself in that position with someone else and actually make sure that it doesn't happen because I have a deeper level of understanding. And I think, you know, just going back to like talking about lifting shitty for a long time and, but just having that general experience of like, Oh, it
0: helps you level with people a lot more for sure. Um, I was going to say two of these real quick. One is I think people who have life experience often tend to make fairly good trainers. Uh, Not much life experience, uh, not so much, but I I have this thing. I actually feel like power lifters on average seem to have a really good foundation to turn around, understand movement and become good uh, coaches. I'm not so confident that bodybuilders turn out to, to be great personal trainers all too often they just they're not a, they're not suitable for it at all i think it's tougher to level right because
1: your priorities are so different like where i think as a prior a, a power lifter um and maybe i'm biased because that's how i grew up but um you just i don't know what word i want to use you're you're kind of more in line i just think it's just a priority thing with other regular people whereas like a bodybuilder you have to be so disciplined and so like eating in a in a very specific way and hitting macros and doing all these things and eating out of Tupperware. And ninety nine percent of people don't wanna fucking do that. And powerlifters sure as hell don't wanna fucking do that. And they understand how to get their body into positions to move a lot of weight. And I think just those two things transfer a little bit better, you know, because it's like I, I think a lot of times people that are physique oriented, especially early on, their career, are like, well, why wouldn't you want to do this? Why wouldn't you want to, you have to do it this way. You have to eat six times a day. You have to do this. And most people are like, yeah, I don't fucking want to do that,
0: man. That's not what I want to do.
1: I think it's tough for people to to, to cross that bridge. I think here's another aspect
0: of it too, is, well, powerlifting is still based in physics. I mean, you're fighting yeah, gravity, sure. you biomechanics, like that stuff. The <coughs> science is pretty sound. If you're going to be a good powerlifter, you got an inherent understanding of it. Bodybuilding traditionally has been based in pseudoscience, right? I mean, the end result of the best bodybuilders in the world, they look great, but they're not always... They're sometimes successful, not because of the, the, the shit they do, the six meals a day or whatever, uh, the anabolic window of eating, but in spite of some of those things, they just overarch, get the right amount of food in, they get the right training stresses, obviously drugs and things of that nature, great genetics... So there's a lot of things in bodybuilding that can actually not be contributing to someone's success, and you can misattribute that, and then the the minute details all of a sudden. There's no market for it. Like, I was watching
2: Generation Iron 3 on Netflix like two nights ago, and they're asking people about bodybuilding. No one has a fucking clue. They're like, oh, that's bodybuilding? Like, they thought it was this, and they showed all these physique athletes. Anyways, long story short is no one knows what it is. No one wants to work out for two and a half hours. And so, like, if you're a bodybuilder, like, you, there's no market for you to take those skills because they have skills in their craft. But, like, a lot of that, no one's going to do – when you're in a training session, you're not going to do arm curls for fucking 20 minutes. <laughs> like, you're just not going to do that. No, and you're you, not. And
1: I think it's – a, a lot of times, too, is, like, you know, if you really want to build a, a good training business and you want to have a stable clientele and you want to, you know, have longevity – you can't be training for two and a half fucking hours a day. You just can't, you just really can't do that. So it's, it's that, I think there's a, there's a disconnect there as well, you know?
2: Um, let's hammer some, like we always like to get like recent posts or just stuff that's kind of relevant to what you've been doing. But a recent yes, post notes how trainers would benefit from developing communication skills via trying to absorb the deepest technical nuances of training, kind of like what we're talking about. Would you elaborate on that? Yeah. Go run back through that again. Just I think, like, um, how trainers would essentially benefit from developing communication skills via like yeah. all this super super technical shit, and we talked about it with powerlifting, but like, where does that play on that scale of importance or spectrum?
1: Uh, I think. Well, I think what I was trying to say is that um, we it's something we touched on a little bit earlier. It's just yeah. what what is actually important, you know? Because it's like, um, especially when we look at programming stuff. So like our program design stuff, it's set up for. We train mostly what we call gen pop clients. Most of our clients are between ages 35 and 55 um, and they're busy and they got a lot of shit going on. And so our programs are set up for them and our program design system is set up to serve people like that mostly, but can be extrapolated to other populations. And it's set up to make trainers lives easier, to make it easier for you to write a program and not have to beat yourself over the head for, you know, two hours trying to write a program, which is I think something that we've all experienced at one point in our lives, because we just made things too complicated. So I think a lot of times folks get too into the weeds with stuff that gets a little bit too technical and too complicated when really you're not going to apply a 10th of it to your clients. Like it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's fun to know a lot of cool shit and to be able to think about it and do stuff with it and, and to have conversations. But, um, mostly what you need to understand is how to apply things simply. And I think folks get down that path of like, oh, I really want to understand this super complex Russian periodization system. It's like, when are you going to train a fucking Olympic athlete that needs this shit? You're not going to do it. You're going to train Mrs. Mancini that lives down the street, and she just wants her hip not to hurt. So it's like stop focusing on that and focus on how to communicate with Mrs. Mancini because – you have to communicate stuff to her that, one, she doesn't understand. Two, some of the shit she's not going to want to do. And three, she has to understand that you have the best of intentions for her. And when you can develop those skill sets, rather than worrying about this super complex physiological shit, you'll have a lot better life and career. And, and that's really just the message. of Mancini do. is doing no, daily more.
0: maxes. Okay. So, so. Is, is Mrs. Mancini your fictitious archetype that you always use? Because Fisher has Miss, Mrs. Rosini. Oh, is that what you said? Yeah,
2: yeah, I just I just pick up some random old lady name. So it sounds Italian. I usually say Mancini. I just I pictured. I don't know if that's an Italian name, but this like little Italian woman she's who weird. like cooked dinner for her family, and then she comes out. You're walking, and she's like, "We're doing fucking daily max today. We're <laughs> exactly. like What
1: yeah. first training I, session? <laughs> it it was it was wild, man. Because it's like I don't want to throw anybody in the bus, but I had a conversation with with someone last week, and she was talking to me about how. You know, she was she manages a, a group of trainers at a, at a club in a city that I won't say. So it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, um, and she's talking about applying Kale Dietz principles to their general pop plans. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, no, they don't need that. They don't need to understand triphasic principles. They don't need to do that shit. They need to show the fuck up, like get them to come to the gym
2: and you're winning man like so Except I think that's boxing. what I'm trying to say What's well that? even I run into that even sometimes because the realm in which I deal with like a lot of people are like PRI oriented or DNS or whatever like and I've taken all that stuff but like I think being a teacher helped because all that shit doesn't matter because no one gives a shit about PRI it's I look at it as like if you're looking at it as a trainer for like how you're going to integrate everything in the training you're already looking at it wrong it's just a lens yeah. And yeah. that lens is used so that you can distill it into whatever you're going to do it, but it needs to be more principle-based than specifics of whatever modality, triphasic sure. being the perfect example. Like, if you distill it for general pop, they just need to lift heavier with eccentrics and then maybe do a little bit of fast things. And then that's it. And you're like, oh, that's sweet, it. there's triphasic training. Like, you don't need to do Khalid's fucking football triphasic. I, yeah. with my clients. Eight blocks. I made
0: sure the experience is I make sure it is relationship based and it is fun. And guess what? You will go all over my social media and you will see some really freakishly strong everyday people. I just posted a video yesterday. I got two clients. They're uh, these two girls that trade together. They're both moms, they're both in their 30s. And they're five foot one and both of them are tiny. They're in like that 125 to 130 mid-130s range between the two of them. And these are not like hardcore athletes, these are girls that get in maybe a couple times a week. And these little things, they, one did a 165-pound one-rep max squat, and one did a 185 for a one-rep max squat. Both subparallel, Parallel. hip soccer was low. They were excited. They loved it. they squat really well, so I'm comfortable letting them do that stuff. And they fucking had fun with it, right? Like, don't overcomplicate yeah. this sh- I've never used the phrase triphasic in eight and a half years of doing this shit.
2: I don't think I've ever used it, like, other than on the podcast. I think we talked about the podcast once.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've used it with athletes before. Yeah. I, I absolutely have um, like with man. training college athletes and, and some of the pro guys that I worked with. But, like, the the only thing I've heard was, like, hey, doing stuff slow helps people learn how to move. So, like, that's... <laughs> but,
2: that's like, and, and that's how you would use it. And I think that if you get too complicated with that, you're going to lose a lot of people. But some people, that's their thing. I just don't know if that's going to be the right thing. But maybe it is for some people. Like, some people do go to trainers to learn some of that shit. But hopefully that's your market.
1: Yeah,
0: I think it's, it's just usually not. That's a new trainer thing too, though. Well, new trainers like to grab onto shit. They go to a weekend kettlebell course, and all of a sudden, every client is doing kettlebell stuff or or whatever new thing that they've sort of grabbed onto. It's new and exciting, so they're everybody's doing it. This actually kind of ties into what we're going to ask you next. And you actually wrote a, an old Teen article about this, and you said how exercise variation sucks. And of course, I love that because I'm someone who does not seek variation or circus-style creativity for the sake of creativity. I really like hammering the basics well. So you want to explain why trainers and clients believe they need this wild variation and why this shit doesn't matter? Yeah. Um, I, I think, oh, I mean, it's a,
1: it's a multi-level thing. I think first, it's it's they think it's an inherent expression of value. I think it, unless um, we can continue to show people that we know things, I think sometimes it, it makes people feel like you know, we're not expressing value. Um, you know, we had, we had Dan John on the, on the very first ever Q&A that we did for, for Strength Faction back in 2015. And he told a story that I'm about the butcher, but um, I'm <laughs> going to do my best with it. And he was talking about how um, he's working with a client and the client stopped making progress. Um, and he asked, you know, what Dan, Dan asked the guy, like, you know, what he thought happened. And, uh, the guy said, well, it seems like you got bored. Like we were doing all the things that we need to do. Now all this stuff started to change and then I stopped making progress. So it's like one of the things that we preach and is like, you can't get bored. I think the trainer gets bored sometimes and they like, they feel like they don't want to give them that same exercise again. They don't want to do that again. But the reality is, is I think it's very simple. Like why? And my philosophy now, from when I wrote that article, I think that article is mostly about just like you know, not having shit rotating all the time. And, you know, if you really just need to develop a skill um, which I guess it hasn't changed all that much, but I think the biggest thing is, is it, from a perspective of a client. Um, I wrote that article more for, for us as lifters, but there's the perspective of a trainer working with a client. Um, it's really tough to get them to train with intensity if they have to learn something new all the time. Yeah. And if you want to get results, you got to train with some intensity. So if you're constantly changing shit, it's real tough to express intensity from a week to week basis because you have to figure your things out again. You have to feel competent before you're gonna let yourself cut loose. So I just don't think there's a point in doing that. Cause you know, if people are enjoying coming to you to to be enjoy being around you, if they're getting results, they're happy. You know what I mean? There might be a point where they're like, oh man, I'm this squat, why do we keep doing this squat? Blah, blah, blah. Most of the time, if you have a good reason, they'll be fine with it. And second of all, it's like, okay, well, how can you change that a little bit so it isn't so monotonous for them? But I think the reality is it's just like that's it's that simple. It's like if you keep changing shit, people can't train with intensity.
0: I was going to say, I've been doing the basics with a lot of my clients for a really long time. I think one of the things that keeps them really excited and interested is is if they're always getting stronger at stuff, even if it's incremental. Very little that I've ever – witnessed in in all the stuff that I've ever done matters more to most people than and let's not not necessarily always one rep max personal best because there's an inherent risk versus reward with that kind of stuff and I think trainers who are always doing that stuff that's kind of dangerous you got to be careful but if they're always getting stronger and noticing that hey fuck you just did with eight with a weight that you did for five reps now you've done it for eight reps you can't right. fake, as long as the form is consistent, you can't fake that. You can't fake someone going from zero chin-ups to doing two. Exactly. So that that's legit stuff. And I talk to my people a lot about these kind of concepts. Uh, another thing for trainers, if you are worried about not using enough variety, I will say to my clients, like, I'm trying to teach you guys to be functionally independent so you can exist without me.
2: Exactly. If you
0: get so much value from our relationship, from the accountability from always working on progression that you want to stay with me medium long term, that's great. But I am not going to change up and have you standing on BOSU balls with one leg with whatever the fuck bullshit on your head. And I'm not going to do the cuckoo creative stuff just to add novelty for the sake of novelty. I'm going to work on the basics, but I'm also make sure that they understand. Let me know what you want and I will make sure we get it done and that's a maturity level thing man and that's just that's just having
1: maturity as a person and, and as, a, as a trainer and you, i i forget which one you mentioned it but it's like people with life experience usually make better trainers it's because like well you can yeah. fucking relate like it's just <laughs> there's that's you really did it you. and just and just being able to have the conversation with people of like oh well and you, i think the one of the things that people get caught up with variation is because they don't have enough direction right so if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish either everything a everything season seems important or a you or b you feel like you get a change shit because of the monotony or because you don't know where you're going so we'll just make a change but i think if you if you learn how to have the conversation that actually helps a person extract a goal from themselves and gives both of you directions a direction then all everything that you're doing aligns with that direction then you're good man and it's just it's just having the 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 confidence and being able to relax enough to let that process happen. And just being somebody that's fun being around, I think it's really the biggest part of the battle. Well, that even goes back
2: to my thing with principles is that many trainers don't even know their principles for one life or with training principles, but they can't distill those principles to the basics so that when you do have variation, the the principle still remains the same shit, just a little variation where I think, the variation ends up being something so drastically different instead of making those comparisons and then having that scaffolding. And I I guess that that's just being more principle based than understanding them, which is lost a lot in school um, for one thing. And then even with their experience and as they grow, refining those principles. Does that make sense? I'm
1: sorry. Go ahead. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. I I think people get lost in the land of nice ideas. And that's, (laughs) that's something that we just, that we talk about all the time. It's like, just spend you spend your time in nice idea land rather than the real world and it's easy for that stuff to happen whereas like you know it it, and i'll go back to it 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 takes getting knocked around a bit to some people are naturally have like a natural proclivity for developing principles and being and having a philosophy that they follow but not everybody is and sometimes it takes getting knocked around to realize like well i gotta actually i gotta instill some of this and learn how to do this and and really follow something that that is consistent so I, i think you know it just takes a minute sometimes and it, and it takes having some, having some tough lessons. I think
2: too. Um, let's talk conditioning. Uh, sure. <laughs> That's pretty simple. one. Uh, what are your preferred conditioning modalities and kind of the reasoning why? And I guess, what do you suggest people avoid or trainers that you're dealing with avoid? Uh, I mean, when you say modalities, what do you mean? Like just types of conditioning. Cause it, it's easy to just generalize conditioning, but like, what are some bad things and what are some good things that you can do in those realms that are going to be like low hanging fruit for trainers, and which they kind of avoid essentially. I'll use the example, like
0: aerodyne bikes versus high rep box jumping. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: and well, that, I think that's the thing. Is is there's there's two big, uh, a few things it's like safe, fun, and fits. Like, is it safe? is it going to be fun for the person does it fit where they're currently at from a fitness level and does it fit for what they're trying to accomplish Uh, and i think if you kind of follow something like that you end up in a pretty good place so you know we do we what we we have folks when folks come first in first come into our gym we we get a quick resting heart rate on them now it's not the most accurate resting heart rate in the world we'd much rather have them do it like first thing in the morning at their house you know so i know there's it's a, it's a different environment. There's some white coat syndrome that might be going on. There's a lot of variables and all that kind of stuff, but we get that so we at least know where, hey, is this person kind of in a safe place or is it is their heart rate too high for us to do too much? Because um, we've had some wild-ass heart rates when people have come in. It's been <laughs> kind of scary, actually. It's, it's like you're in like the cardiac output zone and you're laying down, man, so something's not right. So, um, But I think we use we follow basic interval training with safe implements um, and we do some steady state cardiac output type stuff based on movement circuits that will develop some kind of skill. Um, And that's, that's really how we focus pretty much everything. So our folks, when they do a little bit of conditioning at the end of their strength training um, and whether they do it at uh, one of our conditioning classes, it all kind of follows the same paradigm. And we really just work through the week with uh, as much as we can following the neural metabolic continuum. So like, our uh, conditioning at the beginning of a week a little bit more intensity a little bit shorter work intervals longer rest intervals balances out during the middle of the week towards the end we extend it all and and get a little bit more metabolic and then reset at the end of next week so um i I think the biggest thing is just finding out where somebody is at a fitness level does it fit their goals we have some folks that don't do any conditioning because it just like doesn't fit for them um and we have some folks like we have a guy that's uh just started coming to us and he he's doing like a century ride on his fucking bike. It's like, well, you do enough. So let's yeah. lift some weights and make sure that you're moving. All right. And then you can go do your thing on your bike. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is keeping those things to account. Like what's the total training volume for the person and what is their stress level outside of that? Cause I think it, yeah. it really, it really, uh, it matters because it's like, you know, so like we got this one guy, um, he's, got a stressful job. This is going to sound eerily familiar to everybody that's ever trained. Um, stressful job. He's got a family, um, not a lot of time, very high tension guy. And he also smokes. So it's like, he just, he smokes. That's what he does. Motherfuckers are not going to quit. So, um, so we do high tension lifting. We do that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to throw a bunch of high tension conditioning on top of that. It just doesn't make sense. So I think the biggest thing is like considering your outcome, considering what's safe. Um, and, and what somebody might enjoy. And I think it just is based on a conversation with them. So um, I, I don't know if that gave you the most detailed answer in the world. But that's, that's just
0: kind well, of the overarching way that I think about. That's it. That's the principal answer, which is probably the better answer anyway. I mean, like obviously, we could ask you, if anyone's ever... Any of the trainers follow Ben Bruno on his Instagram, and he does these weekly. Ben is fucking funny; he's like one of the, easily the funniest people in the industry. So he he does these Instagram story cute Q, Q and As, and so people are always asking him what is his favorite type of conditioning. So he, he loves ski ergs; he just loves them. I don't know. I'd never even seen one before. Actually, I've never seen one in person. Um, I've just I don't know. Just it's the just upset never been in a gym. Or- yeah, so it, cool. it's it's pretty cool. Anyway, I didn't even have a clue what the fuck these things were until I finally saw one online but is there anything specifically that you actually really like to implement with your clients? Cause I think we all have our favorites and then they're, they're the trainers that, And I'm not going to knock burpees, but there's trainers who use def- burpees as the default, which Ben shits the fuck all over. Whereas Nick to they were going back and forth playfully and all the trainers, industry were arguing about burpees for at least a month um, this year. Yeah. And Nick defended them and, and Ben his shit on them. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I, we have people do modified burpees at our gym a lot with their hands on a bench rather than, going the way to the floor just because it's more of a trunk position thing because they get down there and they can't control their trunk position. They've go got all kinds of wild-ass shit going on in there. So we'll do modified. Um, it's, I mean, I I, I don't think you'd – a sled. like It's real tough to fuck up pushing a sled. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you get a lot out of it. Um, you can certainly get some strength carryover. Um, there's great range of motion at the ankles and everything if you're doing everything right. And it's just tough to to not push a sled, right? It's easy to do. So it's like even if you have got somebody and they come in and and movement wise, and both from a, a capacity and a um, and an ability standpoint, aren't great movers, you can put them on a sled and have them push it and and, and do really well. I mean, we use the Airdyne bike a lot. We use rowers. We use the ski erg, and we do a lot of just um, body weight movement type of stuff. And those are the things that we use because it's like. Some of those things are fun, um, and you know adults still need gym class. So and they're
2: trackable too. Some of those ones are pretty good. Um, Yeah, I wanted to bring this up because I saw it. Like I don't know if you saw my Instagram. This has not. Well, it kind of has something to do the the piece of equipment where you hold on the rails and your fucking feet go side to side. Oh, those weird their ellipticals are. But it's not like what is that? Like, does it actually do anything? I have no idea. Like, I was on it and it felt like I was floating through, like, space. Like, there's no...
1: (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, it has
2: the two feet and they glide side to side. And, like, you end up, like, swaying. Anyways, I I have to figure it
0: out because... I've seen shit like that. There's
2: just some weird shit. Like, so we're just talking about conditioning stuff. There's some weird... Because I just recently got a gym pass because um, I I have a private studio. I need to get out of the house. need some more stuff. And then I go there. I haven't been in a gym for, like, 10 years. There's some wild-ass, like, cardio stuff that they've oh, yeah. just, like, made up. And, like, I don't even know if it's good. This is up at North? This is at both of them. Oh, good to go. Anyways, like, there's just different types of cardio. I didn't even know they made things like this. Like, the Cybex thing has, like, an elliptical that instead of going, like, around in a circle, it's, like, fucking pumping up and down. Oh, yeah, i see those. Things. And they go, side, oh. and you're just, like... I just want to know if they're good. Like, I'm no, not going to do they're, it.
0: They're good if they meet two criteria. One, if someone actually enjoys it, they'll do it. And two, if it gets a heart rate up and they actually expand energy. If they'll, if those two things are met, fuck it, it's fine. And and three, if it's not going to get someone hurt. Like, you got someone on a rower. Rowers are crazy safe and effective unless you've got someone basically looking like a dog taking a shit with every rep with a rounded back. And you reinforce that a few hundred times. And, and maybe that's not so good. So... Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just interested on all the stuff there was. No idea. I'm like, That's
2: I'm so new really to, the, like, commercial me. gyms, and I'm just like, man, so they make up some wild things. Tom, long
1: uh, the last time you stepped into a commercial gym? Oh, I, I go into all them all the time. I mean, I, I rarely train there. I mean, I I go into Equinox all yeah, the time. Yeah, so they'll, have a they'll probably have all that
2: shit. Equinox, they have a lot like, of
1: shit. Equinox, Equinox does a decent job, though, man. I mean, I... I uh,
2: no, in a good I'm, way. They bring a lot of equipment in, like... Oh. At,
1: they do a lot of good stuff. I mean, they're very they're very committed to developing their trainers and putting out a good product. And um, I've been, I mean, in another commercial gym, man, it's been a while. I like, so like what I do is I'll go into Equinox on the day before I present and I'll work out and I'll watch and just, <laughs> just to get material for like, so I can not only relate to the trainers that I'm about to teach, but also be like, Hey, you know. Because it's funny because it's always the ones that I see doing the wild shit that fail to show up to my workshops, right? Because it's like, you know, it's it's the good folks keep getting better and they invest in that kind of stuff. And, and so it's just, it's interesting, but um, it's just even funny to watch some of the shit that people do, but it's, but they don't know,
0: you know what I mean? They don't know. It's like, what do you, what do you do, I, man? I get lots of entertainment, relatively low cost entertainment, the price of my gym membership because... Where I spend so many hours at the facility I work at, I'll work out there about half the time. But then sometimes at the end of it, it, if I've been there for eleven hours and training eight, to, eight to ten of them, you know, I'll leave there and then I'll go over to where I have another gym membership at a commercial gym, and I just enjoy watching the crazy shit that you see in commercial gyms. That's I, I fun. love it, and I try to be very tactful. If I see something, um, one of my rules: you never fucking film people. Never, ever do that shit. Oh, that's that is, rude. A, that is an evil behavior that just scares people, right? But every once in a while, I could see something totally ridiculous, and I can actually talk about it, not in a shameful way on social media, but just in a, hey, this I saw this, this is funny, or whatever. Or there are certain types of douchebags, the, the people in the gyms oh. that really are a problem, those people are fair fucking game. The ones who actually make... The new people feel intimidated. Oh yeah, Don't you know that. what it is
2: though. I haven't been to gym like like I haven't been in the commercial gym for so long, and like I was I always at the university when I was in football, and it was, it's been a long time. Gym culture has changed quite a bit. Like there's a lot more phones. There's a lot more females lifting, which is great. But then with that, I think the dudes got douchier, because they weren't always douchier, Because like douchey was kind of normal. Like if you weren't a gym before, you're just a meathead for the most right. part, or like older or try to stay in shape it's kind of almost switched where it's like the dudes are trying to show off with the girls. There's more girls to show off so the dudes are more douchier. Way more
0: tattoos. Like, it's changed, man. You see mm-hmm. that stuff. Like, I, I, have I a don't tattoo. know who told me this. I feel like I heard it yesterday. Someone had seen some guy in a gym where he's wearing those stringer th- stringer. Top's and he made sure that he pulled his top in such a way that his nipples were visible before he did a set. It's because of like but it goes back shit. to the business coaching.
2: that uh, we talk about Instagram stars all the time, but like it was eerily crazy, like how much of the gym shark equipment on and how like these girls' asses were just huge because they've been doing the Instagram thing. Like, and I'm married, but I was just like, I told my wife, I was like, it's nuts. Like, it's almost like the asses and dudes just got like way bigger in on average because of Instagram. And I was just like this is nuts. There's so much glute stuff going on in this gym. Like you can't even get a piece of equipment cause they're all doing hip thrusters and shit. It was just nuts. I, I think, I think
1: the, uh, reason for being there has changed. Like, yeah, you know, uh, back in the day, it's like a lot of times it was like, you know, uh, you, you're training for sports. Yeah. Um, you wanted to change, just change something about yourself or, um, You know, especially something I've noticed about powerlifting is like a lot of folks were, you know, and I'm not saying this is a slight. So let me just preface that. But like, we're very introverted, and maybe had a hard time socially. So it's like the gym was a place to go and and get some of that out and actually talk to people, meet people. And I just think the priorities for being in a commercial gym now have changed a
2: little bit. I don't think it's quite like and that. And it's not good or bad. Like I, it, it's on a, on. A, it's probably a net positive because like more people working out. It was just I just couldn't believe it in in a yeah, good way. Sure. I was like, I guess I'm like I'm the weird one because I'm like the old guy trying to like lift iron and I don't have these stringers
0: and you no, know, I didn't have my. It like, has an aspect of a social. The point, tight pants, like I needed it. Anything. Place. Anything that isn't hurting people that is getting more people physically active is a net positive. I, mean, I I'll even, oh, sure. I, and CrossFit is such a low-hanging fruit, it's easy to pick on them. But I actually think there's a lot of really good things that CrossFit do. And it seems like they're evolving, at least cognizant of the fact that some of their traditional programming stuff had some flaws in it. But this seems like they're getting better and better with the stuff. People are more but, aware. But I, I still think that CrossFit is a fantastic Thing that is putting barbells in hands and getting people off the couches. It gets I was,
1: people interested. I was even
0: speaking
2: more to the, just the cultural stuff. Like there were so many people filming, like rock star filming, like you know when you do like the circle around and stuff. I was oh, just, like, sure? <laughs> I'm not even joking. Ah. I was just, but it was just like it was just cool to see like how things have changed, and neither in a good or bad way. It's just like powerlifters have been filming themselves for years, but not like it wasn't like a thing for Instagram, and now it is. It was like, look how bad you fucking sucked on that. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, get over the way, fucking camera. I need to get this on Instagram. And, and the powerlifters are probably the worst for it now, except for they're usually good at filming themselves. But then they get pissed off when someone runs in front of their
0: camera, which like,
2: how are you supposed to know their camera's there?
0: I wrote this a while ago when I first started training at Evolve. And I think this is actually really kind of a cool point. The powerlifters especially are filming everything. So as a trainer, there is always the chance that I could be caught in the background of someone's video that's on Instagram, yeah. which, as a trainer, I really believe you always want to be conscious of how other people perceive you. There are some things I'm a bit of a hard ass about this. I hate seeing trainers sitting down in a commercial gym. It's it sets the tone that you're you're lazy. Uh, phones out, not engaging clients. There's a whole bunch of other etiquette things that just I don't think are are good ways to present yourself professionally if you want other people to walk up to you. I used to crush at walk-up floor business at the old commercial gym. Why? Because I made sure that no one ever saw me doing these kind of things. So if I could get caught in the background of video at any given time, which I think is true of any commercial gym, any strength right. gym now, then it's a good incentive to make sure that you're not always picking your nose or you know sitting. I, I, I was in a commercial gym just this week. And I watched this guy twice, two days in a row, actually, a trainer, he was sitting on a box, his client was doing something, he had his phone in his hand, and he was, and I watched him, and he was in that phone for probably about a minute, and he did not engage, interact with, or say anything to the client. And I'm, I'm looking at this going, why would anyone want to train with this person? And he's experienced, and I think he's probably technically a fairly good trainer, but that just immediately to me is like, well, this is not someone who, you're wasting your fucking client's time. So be, being cognizant of this kind of stuff actually is a really good thing for anyone who is trying to get started. If you own your own facility and it's just you and your clients in there, and you get the phone out, whatever, I don't think it's you, you know no one else is watching, but your client is still experiencing it too. So they're going to turn around and they might like you, but they might not refer other people to you. So right. thoughts on yeah. that?
2: That that just main go to FYI. Like it, there's a okay. few things Andrew like, feels really strongly about, and that's one of them, like, don't be a piece of shit, because someone's filming Some It actually happens all the time, and I don't even know how we got on this, um, but I see videos all the time of other people in Edmonton lifting, and I'll, like, see Chris, or I'll see you, and I'll, like, tag you in it, but it's just, like, crazy, because, like, you can, there's always a way to find out what people are doing. And I'm never doing stupid shit in the background. No. No. <laughs> ever. And if you did, I would fucking save it. Of course I would know. save <laughs> it and use it forever. Blackmail. <laughs>
1: No, I agree, man. I agree. I, um, I, I think like even, you know, the stuff that we put out of our, of our clients doing things like, mm. you know, just everything's going to look good or we're not going to put it out, you know? And I mean, it's, when I say that, I mean, obviously there's going to be some variation off of what everybody thinks is good form, but it's like, you know, especially if it's a, it's something that's very challenging, but you know, we're everything is, you have to have a good forward facing image. Like you just have to, and it doesn't have to be fake, but, um, I think, you know, I just you also have to think about the environment that you're trying to create, you know, and it's like I don't want I want people to walk into our environment and and feel like they have some energy and feel like they're they're there to do something. So if I'm sitting around being a lazy ass the whole time, like it's not good for anybody for me to do that. It's certainly not good for my mindset either. So I'm with you hundred percent.
0: Cool. So there was one thing I picked up on just through because I went through a lot of your media stuff just for ideas for this. And you've experienced recovering from an injury and having to deal with doing less than you're used to being able to. So, and I thought this is something that a lot of people encounter and I was wondering if you could elaborate on that experience and any thought on anyone else who's dealing with it or, you know, mentally preparing yourself for uh, having to set those kind of limits. Yeah. I mean, the, the acceptance
1: piece, it, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was. Cause I think it, I thought it would be because I think it just opened me up to doing different things and training in a different way. Um, and I think that's really the, the take of it. And it's like, you know, the cliche, it's like, well, you just, you do what you can with what you have. And, you know, well, I'm probably not going to be a 600 pound deadlifter anymore. It's just probably not going to happen. And that's fine. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just shifting your priorities and letting it open up, open you up to other things. So it's like, for a very long time, I was focused on, on being really, really, really strong and, and not being all that heavy. And, uh, and it was, it made me very narrow. So I think that it was actually a gift to like, Hey, my hip got banged up. My shoulder got banged up um, to really open me up to explore different avenues of training and, and different avenues in different parts of my life. So I think honestly, it was like, it was, it was a very big net positive for me. Um, it sucks to have your hip hurt. Don't get me wrong. And it also is real tough. Like, you know, I've been able to dunk a basketball since I was in eighth grade and, and to go and try to do that. you're like, fuck <laughs> Can't jump anymore, man. Like you're not that good at that shit anymore. It just, it's just a very, it was, it was a weird experience. But it was just like, okay, well, that's where I'm at. What can I do with this? And and how do I direct myself in a way that's positive? And it's like, where do I put my energy? Because it's like, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be dead lifting 700. Because I looked at what it took to get me to 615, and I was like, yeah. oh, if I do that to get to 700, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Like this isn't gonna be fun. Um, and just being honest with yourself. And I think I sat back and I took a look at my priorities and it's like, Hey, I I have essentially three to four businesses that I run. Um, I'm in my thirties. Uh, I really like to hunt and fish. I really like to be outside. I have other things I want to do. It's like, if I can stay strong enough and I move well enough and I look good enough to not feel like a piece of shit, like that's good for me and i and i was just actually talking with a client the other day because i reposted something from a couple years ago when we were, did you ever hear the tactical strength challenge the strong first thing no you do a max deadlift you do max oh, yeah. pull-ups and you do as many kettlebell snatches as you can in five minutes and we did it as a gym a few years ago and i was i posted a video from that and it was it was just a, a real fast rep with 500 and one of my clients said something to me he's like about it and i was like i really just I go make sure that I still have it every year. It's like oh, 500 still there. And then I just leave it be <laughs> for another 365 because it just, it doesn't matter as much. So I think really it was just what I did was I kind of sat back and I shifted my priorities. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do what I can with what I have. I'm going to go back and, and explore some of these things I haven't done for a long time and just make sure that I I don't put too much importance on something that shouldn't be as important anymore. And you know, it's just like, It's just like anything else. You just have to take it and learn. It's like, oh well. You also did some really stupid shit to get yourself into the position that you're in, and and some stuff with training and, um, you know, one of the I'm I'm really good at lifting stuff. I'm really good at jumping, and I'm really good at running really fast, and for short periods of time. (laughs) And I did way, 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 way too much of all the shit that I'm really good at, and not enough of the stuff that I wasn't good at. And it just took time to balance that out. It's like, Hey man, let's, let's develop a little bit better of an aerobic system. Let's make sure that we're doing other stuff to take care of our joints rather than just showing up and pretending you're Superman. And, uh, and I think that's really just how it, how I was able to accept it and, and redirect it. It's like, cause I think we get caught up in some of those identities. It's like, well, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a super duper strong guy anymore. it's like, so fucking hot. Like it doesn't matter it's, it's basically good. my
2: life <laughs> yeah. like literally college yeah. athlete ran way too fast did so much stupid shit went right the powerlifting, broke myself but i got that 700 deadlift <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah. like i even look back now and like i'm like i won't even know if i still have it and then to even get more than that i'm like fuck that <laughs> like it just takes so long to like lift on those sucks. upper echelons you gotta stay at pretty high intensity for a long time and it just it fucking sucks and it I've, I've only is. recently come to that conclusion that I don't need it anymore. Yeah. And now I look at it like, there's no way in hell I'm going like to even try. If anything, I'm just going to do what you did. Like, yeah, I'll see if I have something, but I'm not training for it.
1: Yeah. The way the way that you direct yourself is like, you have to like, we get really short term where, where we think it's like, I see all these guys talking about like, and even like looking at some of the guys that were really around in powerlifting when I was still trying to compete and doing a lot of things is the sacrifices that they were making to, be able to do the things that they did and they were living as if they weren't going to live very long. And the reality is, is I would much rather live a long life. And I see some of the stuff that, that these guys go through, like fucking liver failure, like having pretty much every joint in their goddamn body replaced. And it's like, dude, if you're going to live, like your quality of life later in life is going to be really, really, really bad. And I, I, for one, I like being strong. I like looking strong. I want to be useful, but I also, don't want to feel like absolute hell when I'm 80, you know, so, which is probably going to happen anyway, but I don't want to make it any worse <laughs> than it already is. So I just think it's like, you got to think about the long game too, man. You got to think about that. Cause you're most, I mean, in the Western world, the good chance is we're going to be around for a while. So you got to think like that too. I've been reading some
0: stuff recently that goes into, I'm trying to remember what book it was. Shit, but it's, it's one of a handful of books. That's not important. What is important is the expectation of our quality of life and our longevity may really grow a lot in the not terribly distant future. Right? I mean, who knows? We may be within a few generations looking at humans who are li- living to be one hundred and fifty, and as we get into sixteen seventy, we're not in decline, but actually, uh, you know gate getting healthier and healthier now this stuff sounds completely ludicrous because of what we're used to growing up but this actually may be the reality in a couple generations so yes you fuck yourself up in your 30s uh, (laughs) might be a long ride of shitty stuff it's been a long ride i can just
1: just even thinking about re out like resource allocation if you want to think about it from an economic standpoint it's like you're going to spend a lot of time and money making sure that your your back your hip and your shoulder doesn't hurt
0: when you could be spending that time and money on something else you know so yeah, that's what this book was about. I'm trying to remember what the hell it was, but it was actually about the financial side of, of what the future kind of brings for us. So but that leads into, because I saw you recently just posting about reading Faulkner, which seems to be mm-hmm. a big thing for you. So um, what is reading Faulkner done for you? And do you have any other recommendations for, for reading for people? I just
1: enjoy it. I think it's OK to just read something because you like it sometimes, you know, and I think uh, uh, just he's a. You know, he's what he's he's up there for me. He's not my totally my favorite author, but I've read a lot of him in my life. Um, And I think just enjoying really good, beautiful writing is something that's important for people. And it is for me and something that's just poignant and strikes you when you when you read it. And I it's certainly helped that certainly helped me as a writer if I want to look at something pragmatic. Um, But it's nice to just like when I posted that the other day, I was sitting on my back porch. I was drinking a glass of wine. My dog was sitting beside me. And I was reading hunting stories that I could relate to, but also struck me in a very different way. And um, it's nice to just take a break sometimes rather than always trying to read something that's going to drive you in a certain direction. Um, I think it's really helped me that way, but just like, you know, a lot of people in our industry, they realize the value of writing. um, And they want to be good at it and reading people that are much better than you helps with that, you know? So Uh, I think it's really just been that, man, you just sit back and and it gives you an opportunity to appreciate something that's, that's an art. And I think that that's something that, you know, that we have to do because unless if we don't, we're boring. And I I think that that's one of the things that, you know, especially if there's one message that a younger trainer can listen to this and take away from a a bunch of crotchety old fuckers sitting around bitching is (laughs) that, you know, uh, don't be boring. And if you're monolithic, you're boring. And, and being able to read something like Faulkner, Faulkner and appreciate it, understanding something about cuisine and how to cook, knowing something about music, knowing something about all these different areas is just, first of all, it just gives you mo- more raw materials to think with and more connections to make. And second of all, it makes it, you, you easier to relate to. So I think that's I mean
0: really it in a nutshell. I can't exactly see John Romanello hunting But you actually say a lot of the same sort of stuff that John believes in. John's a big fan of, he was on the podcast recently, he's a big fan of Hemingway, amongst other writers. And he believes in reading all this stuff just to make you a better writer. And he's a really big proponent of absorbing a lot of relevant pop cultural stuff or other things just to be an interesting person versus this one-dimensional trainer that only knows about sets and reps. So, very similar message. Yeah, it helps Especially if you don't watch Game of Thrones, like, that's cool. you. Probably,
2: I, I say that you probably don't even watch. Game no, yeah, you did because you knew Torment. Um, that's the new thing. Is like it's going all over the internet. Like I don't even watch Game of Thrones. This is cool. It's like no, it's not cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're off the planet right now. <laughs> like it, there's some things that you just shouldn't get too much into. Like watching TV a lot. Like probably not. Like well, whatever. Um, but you should probably watch Game of Thrones if you're a trainer. Like oh, you literally the, cut like you, you're not. Really, if you you literally alienate half your clients. <laughs> <laughs> have my clients watch it. So we, when they come in, it's like, yeah, we they'll judge you. They'll judge them. if you don't watch it. You're getting judged. Like I don't care what people say. Like <laughs> yeah, for sure, exactly. it's like, what,
0: where have you been? I, I, one thing I'm meaning to actually watch or read or both is the Harry Potter series. It's such a daunting thing, and I've never ever gotten into either. But I know that it's actually good. Really, it's good literature in the context of what it is, and it's really important because. The first Harry Potter, Potter book single-handedly reversed a trend where voluntary childhood reading, teenage reading, was in decline for many, many, many years. Oh, yeah. And that first book changed that and then reversed that trend. And now, of course, we have things like, what, The Maze Runner and Hunger Games and, well, Twilight and all these other books and, that got Runway. these... Well, not Get on Twilight, but all these other books that kids are now reading. And so, yeah, maybe it's not Faulkner. But at least it's got kids reading a lot more.
1: Oh yeah,
0: I mean she does. I
1: mean I, from what I understand, like they nail all of the archetypes perfectly. Like it draws people in. So I, I think it's that's a that's I didn't know that that's fucking immense that that a book like could. Oh yeah, it got me like, back
2: into it. I would say like I didn't go to the fourth one, but um, that was probably my main childhood reading, and then Twilight.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little older, right? So I grew up. I remember watching, uh, reading uh, Jack London's Call of the Wild" when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Dad put good books in front of me. Uh, he gave me "The Lord of the Rings," but fuck, I must have been under ten reading those things. I had a cousin who gave me the Screw Tape Letters. If you're familiar with that, it's C.S. Lewis. Yeah. That's it's a pretty fucked up shit. It's like two devils talking to each other. One is like the uncle, one is the nephew, and they're talking about the manipulations of their humans. But it's it's not like a occ- cult. you're type. a psycho. It's not like that. It's actually just got, it's got some some societal shit in it. But yeah, C.S. Lewis, the same guy who wrote The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and, and right. that series. It's pretty cool. So yeah, I got to read some cool shit when I was a kid.
2: And you should bring that one up with clients. That's relatable.
0: I, I have to go back and read it again.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I used to
0: read as a kid how to manipulate so here's, people. Here's a little little piece of trivia. Do you remember the video for u Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me? It was from one of the Batman movies in the 90s. No. Remember this? No. Ah, no. Shit. So anyone who's listening who knows this, which is probably like two people, you can see it's animated, so it's Batman and it's Bono running around and he's got a book in his hand, cartoon drawn, and it is the screw tape letters. So, anyway, there's your obscure trivia for the that's day. That's wild. That's, that's, what you, so that's good book, to know.
2: That's the book recommendation. The tape
0: Letters. I, I don't think I could comfortably recommend that to most people, but uh, it's, it, apparently... It's, I'll, read it. I'll read it. I appreciate you bringing it up. Well, There's, there's actually another book that just came to light. It's Napoleon Hill, and everybody talks about um, Think and Grow Rich, which is one of the classic, classic inspirational books. I think it's like written in what, the 30s. You get into this, and it's a good experience in reading the kind of way people talked and wrote of that era there is some language in there he tells a story about a quote colored girl and some of this stuff you'd never be able to write today and he he uses some stuff that probably comes off as a bit sexist but it gives you a window into the way that people sort of acted and thought what were social norms at but he actually wrote a second book it was something about a conversation with the devil and it was buried up until shit sometime in the last 10 or 15 years his family wouldn't release it it's an interesting book I, i didn't love it it's about this conversation he allegedly has with the devil and he somehow has this power to compel the devil to answer all of his questions about human nature and all this sort of weird shit. It's kind of interesting stuff. I mean, I absolutely think it's pure fiction. I don't believe that he actually had a conversation with the devil, but the book sells it as though it was a real thing. That's wild. Anyway, interesting shit for people who want to go down that. Um,
2: What's Jack Black's band?
0: Um, Um, Tenacious D.
2: they They had a talk with Dude. they sure did that was definitely not fiction is real the
1: greatest song in the world
2: yeah. <laughs> i
0: don't even uh, have we gone here
1: book you said books to recommend uh how about it's tough for me to do this um i always have a hard time with this and I, for for like first like context like is uh, or for for certain subjects or something like that or certain problems i can i can help but i also think it's like it's one of those things that i think certain books have to hit a certain person at a certain time you know what i mean so it's like uh, I like for one, for example, I had this one of my ex girlfriends. Um, there's this book called The Slight Edge, and it's super simple. Love it. And it's not gonna blow your mind. And it's like you just got to go do the shit that he says. And some parts of it seem kind of corny. And we were reading it as a staff at our gym, and I was like, "Hey, why don't you check this out?" And she read it, and she made like ten pages. She's like, "I hey, did, blah, blah blah." And she made some notes in the in the in the um, columns and everything. And then all of a sudden, she just stopped it. And she wouldn't read anymore because she's like, "Oh, this is just stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's too simple." Blah blah, blah, blah. but so just a, an example. Of, like sometimes I just think you have to be ready for a book, or it's just not gonna, it's not gonna work for you. But that being said, um, context-wise, like,
2: well, so, I can make well, essentially, if you don't like the slight edge, like you're not gonna last with you. Is what you're saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, have the first book on <laughs> like, your first date. Like, read this.
1: Yeah. no it was fine it was like i was like all right i get it you're just not ready
0: for that shit that's fine well this is what paul carter talked about in his last podcast we talked about books and he actually yeah. did this as sort of a test if he's dating women he asked them what they're reading and of course this is a way for him to filter out people i think if they don't read then oh that's like, a henry rollins thing too that like you're he
1: henry rollins has a whole bit done on that where it's like he's like he asks the girl what she's reading and if she says nothing he like kicks him out of her car and it's funny the other the next level of the joke is like he asks what the reading the girl says. Well, I'm reading the Harry Potter books. He's like, get the fuck out of my car! Reading adult
0: book. Yeah, <laughs> Rollins is great. He's got some of the best actual uh, quotes and, and things that have ever been written about the gym. There's a um, essay or a, para- a paragraph that he writes about iron, the iron. Yeah. the iron. Yeah, and that is everybody actually should go read. So there. Let's go with that. Everybody, go and Google Henry Rollins, the iron especially if you're into lifting, this thing will move you. It is a beautiful piece of work. And the so, what? The stitches? What? the What do you call it? The devil book? Oh, uh, oh. I, I'm not going to recommend Man, recommend one. it. What is it? Oh, and, uh, the, the, the screw tape letters. Tape letter. Screw tape letters. I'm not going to read it. I'm <laughs>
2: going to read it just to have some insight on t- your childhood because it'll <laughs> <laughs> answer a lot. Of your... I'm going to check
0: it out too. <laughs> it sounds interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, um, it's, again, it's C.S. Lewis, right? Lewis is a classic writer, so.
2: Um, I was going to say, let's, let's end here. Um, where okay. where can our yeah. listeners find you online and on social media? Kind of, where's the best place to find all your resources?
1: Yeah, man. So, uh, mm, uh, the Strength Faction Instagram is just at Strength Faction. My personal Instagram is at Bum and that's mostly just like that's random ass shit. It's, I don't know if valuable, but <laughs> at Bum Todd. Um, and then the, our website is strengthfaction.com. com, and so those are the easiest places to find me. My email, if you are so inclined, is. Todd at BeyondStrengthPerformance
2: Not bum Todd at Strength.
1: Bum? What's, that's just Todd.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love when people have good it's like my. I can't change mine. It's like Guido Power, but it's just like you can tell an insight to where my life was at that time. You were obviously
0: a bum at that point. I was. I've been a bum most of my yeah. life, man. It's just how it is. <laughs> All right, this was fun, man. I'm really glad, you know. It's it's been a really long time. Like I, it was it Todd's one of these names I always remember. CNN, Nation. Like Oh yeah, man. Like all these guys are these like high level writers and stuff. And actually to have gotten to interview and talk to a lot of you guys is, is beyond cool. Like that is just, that is something that means a lot to me. And I also want to make sure that anyone who's listening to this, again, go check out what Todd is doing because we want to let you guys, the listener find our guests because they are doing good things. They've been doing good things for a long time. They've been successful helping people. So if you're a trainer, you can learn some stuff. Or if you are, are enthusiasts, you can still pick up on really valuable stuff because a lot of this stuff at the end of the day is geared towards making the end user better. It's not just only for trainers. Cool. So well, thanks for coming no, on, I brother. appreciate
1: you guys having me, man. Um, and those are, I really appreciate what you just said, man. I don't know. It's just like just writing articles, dude. So I appreciate you, you saying that and taking the time to read them. And, and thank you guys for having me on because I'm sure you guys are better at this than I am. So thanks so much.
2: I'll go with
1: that. See you, buddy. Shut up and sit down.